Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Good evening and welcome to episode 28 of The Bible Unmasked. I'm very excited that you joined us. I cannot believe that we've made it so far. As you know, we started this project, um, this Bible study um, earlier this year in January, and we've read actually half, more than half of the Bible. So um, as you know, it's a Bible study and it premieres every Sunday night at 7.30. So we would like our goal is to read the entire Bible in 2021. So I'm asking you all the church members and viewers to read your Bible, yeah. and you can, and you know, you can ask your friends, family members, and coworkers to join in and read the Bible with you. And also, what we're asking that you do, I think it's a, it's, it will be good that you don't read just one day, but that you read as you go every day. Make sure you so you can digest what you are reading, and also make sure you like us on YouTube, um, our YouTube channel for the Plantation TV on YouTube. This is done by our pastors, our pastors, and also Principal Stevenson. They come on every week and they answer your questions on Sunday night. And today, I am excited, I am thrilled that we have the man, the legend, Pastor Gervin March. <laughs> Welcome, Pastor. Good evening, Cassandra. It's good to be here with you this evening. I have heard wonderful things about the Bible and Mass, and I'm elated to be a part of this experience this evening. Absolutely. And thanks, Pastor. It's your first time on the Bible yes. and Mass, and mm -hmm. hopefully it will not be your last time. No, it won't. No, it won't. <laughs> so um, for those of you who don't know, Pastor March is the Ministerial Field Associate with the conference. So because we don't have a senior pastor at this time, as you know, Pastor Joe, our beloved Pastor Joe, left um, a few uh, months ago, weeks ago. And Pastor March, um, as the, he's now in charge of plantation until we find a new um, lead pastor. So he's stepping in today and he's going to present and answer your questions tonight. Um, so we have a lot to talk about, but before, Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. May it transform our lives and touch our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So, Pastor March, last week um, we covered Psalm 120 to Proverbs, um, Proverbs um, 14. Can you quickly tell us, can you remind us what we discussed um, last week on the Bible and last uh, well, these um, chapters that we covered um, look, as you pointed out, from the Psalms into Proverbs. The 120 is part of the last book of the Psalms. There are five books in the Psalms, so to speak. And then we go into Proverbs, which begins the wisdom saints. Um, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job are a part of what we call the wisdom books. And Psalms is what we call a part of the poetry. So we looked at those, and particularly that last section exalts God and looks a lot on the issues of praise. And then the beginning of Proverbs um, starts with issues pertaining to wisdom. It's attributed to Solomon, who is David's son, who is writing this book um, with instructions specifically for his son. 
And so this week we're picking up in chapter 15 and we're going to continue in the issues pertaining to the wisdom sayings and we move into Ecclesiastes, which also forms a part of the collection of books considered wisdom. Interesting. And, and I like to use the word wisdom. If you want to be wise, I will tell you, go and read Proverbs, right? Because I've learned so many things. I think I've, this week, or for the past few weeks, as a Christian, I've grown. And I, and you know, the things that I'm trying to do to be a better person, a better Christian, a better friend, a better wife. And, you know, and, and there's a word for everything in Proverbs. It's, it's, it's um, amazing. So our first question um, for tonight, Pastor, is taken from Proverbs 15, verse 1. And you'll see what I was talking about in terms of if you want to be wise, that's where you have to go. Go to the book of Proverbs. A yeah. gentle answer turns away right, but a harsh word steers up anger. But let's say I have an abusive husband or somebody has done something bad to me. How can we do that? How easy it is to stay nice and gentle when we are upset, when we are rightfully upset? Now that's an excellent question. Um, I'll, I'll answer that by giving this illustration. So unfortunately, I'm, I'm not on Facebook, but my wife is. And so I was on her Facebook page and I saw something where, I don't know if you know Tabitha Brown, I think that's her name. Apparently this week there was, or last week, there was something said about her by a popular TV host, Wendy Williams. Um, um, and um, in essence, she was uh, belittling a decision that this woman had made. That is, Wendy Williams was belittling a decision this woman has made. And then it caught my attention because someone was saying that um, now she has become even more popular because of how she responded. And they said she responded in such a godly and Christ-like way that they're just singing her praises. So I had to go watch to see it. Now, I won't be able to get in all the details, but you have to watch it because she, in essence, said to her, you know, I'm praying for you and I'm yeah. sorry that you are not at a certain place and experiencing love okay. in a certain way and so on and so forth. In other words, she really um, answered her in such a gentle way that it took it, it took her down a few notches. That is, it took Wendy Williams down a few notches. I, I thought of that as I as I heard your question. Um, it is possible. It is possible. Mm -hmm. Ways we can do that include possibly counting to ten and just breathing or something. But the idea is this: um, if you don't want to add fire to fuel, rather to the fire. Sometimes it's best to be quiet or respond in a way that will diffuse the situation. That is the essence of what the psalmist, the sorry, um, the wise man is saying. Don't add fuel to the fire. However, you can diffuse the situation, bring it down a couple notches, then go right ahead. And even in abusive situation, um, some abusers are, are just abusive. That's just who they are. But it is true that even how you respond to them can impact how they may relate to you. So whether Absolutely. it's an abusive situation or anything else, we try to ensure that we diffuse and not add fuel to the fire. That's true. And, and I've seen it. I've done it. When you respond nicely, that can de-escalate, right? It can do yeah. it. However, Pastor, and, and I like the answer, and I want to be that um, Tabitha Brown. I want to be her. I want to be that person. <laughs> Have you seen it? You need to watch it. <laughs> I will. I sure will. But how can we be 
consistent because, you know, although we try and we try, we are human at the end of the day, right? And, yeah. and so what can we do not to do that, to be consistent and to always give a God-like answer? And that's a very important question. Now, the, 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 the simple answer, I believe, is this. We can be consistent by learning to form the habit of responding in a soft way. Um, anything about us. One of my professors in college told me that practice makes perfect. And then he said, if you practice foolishness, you'll perfect foolishness. Mm -hmm. But if you practice the right thing, you'll perfect the right thing. So the point is, when we make it a habit to think before we talk or... Um, push, pull back a little before we respond and really allow the spirit or even say a prayer. One of the things I do is yeah. anytime I'm in a situation I'm like, Lord, please hear my prayer right now. I need you because I may respond a certain way and I want to ensure that I respond the way you want me to. So we can create the, a prayerful habit and, and a habit where we are careful to think before we talk or look carefully at the situation before we respond. Absolutely. So, so it takes time. We have to be patient with ourselves and, mm -hmm. and just give it to God. If we practice, practice will eventually make perfect. Absolutely. Indeed. Pastor, we've, we read um, that book of, of Proverbs. And again, there's very good advice from that book. And, you know, for instance, in verse um, 18 of Proverbs um, 15, the Bible says, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. So we're not familiar with this at church, Ju judging by the, by, by the way we behave. And by, even in board meetings, I'm asking myself, maybe we're not familiar with um, that book. So I think preachers, they do not preach about Proverbs as much. Some Bible um, books are more popular than others. So why is that? Why? do preachers tend to neglect some book like Proverbs and preach more about other books? A number of reasons. Number one, some people actually believe that the Old Testament is really relevant to the mm -hmm. Christian experience, but that is so not true because the Old Testament is a gospel um, enfolded and the New Testament is a gospel unfolded. You know, it's, it's, it's there because it's important. So unfortunately, that's one of the reasons. Another reason, it's something I discovered when I was doing my doctoral program. Actually, I did my doctoral program in preaching. And mm -hmm. that was one of the main issues we debated. Why is it that people do not preach from the Proverbs more often? One of the reasons people don't preach from Proverbs more often is because this book is a a compilation of maxims and pithy sayings and um, what do we call them? Adages, just wise sayings. And unlike, say, a narrative book, like, say, um, even Genesis or like Matthew, where you have a Gospels, where you have stories that have a beginning, a body and a conclusion, and you can actually follow the story and then extract the main principles or whatever. Proverbs seems to be all over the place. One verse could be talking about A, the other verse talk about Z, then, then the one below that comes back to B. But the truth is this, the truth is this, there are themes evident in, in, in Proverbs. In Proverbs, for example, look at chapter three. That was a discourse, an entire discourse that is given to the son. He says, 
my son, forget not my law, but let thy heart keep my commandment for length of days and long life and peace. And then the popular text, we all know where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. So there are sections in the book that are units that we can actually preach. However, a lot of people read it and they see, they, they get the impression that it's all over the place. What we recommend in, in, in situations like that is this, because it addresses these different things. So for example, in Proverbs, it may talk about money and you will see one statement about money in chapter 15. And then you go to chapter two when you see another statement or things of that nature. What we recommend is you read the entire book, find all the texts that speak on a particular subject, and then you can preach that in a topical and even expository way. Um, so there are ways to preach this that are possible, but it's easier for us to preach the stories that are a full unit. It's easier for us to preach the, the, the epistles, which are, are letters where you can just get to the point or the bullet points that the author is bringing out. But the, the Proverbs, rather, may not, do not always appear that easy to preach but it can be preached another reason it's not preached is because preachers we all have our hobby horses some preachers just love to preach on praising god some preachers love to preach on prayer some people just love to preach from specific books so we have our hobby horses that we ride but again the wise sayings in proverbs and other books can be preached and should be preached one of the things that I encourage preachers to do is this, make a thematic calendar for the year, and you can preach through a book, including the book of Proverbs or any of the other wisdom books. It's possible. It's possible. Okay. And do you, Pastor, preach about Proverbs? I'm just curious. Yes, I have. I have a few sermons from the book of Proverbs. And um, yeah, uh, one of my best sermons from the book of Proverbs, I believe, is about, it's titled, um, uh, on a case study in wisdom, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the exact title right now, but yeah, um, I, I preach from it and I encourage preachers to do the same. Wonderful. So our next question is a compound question. So I'm going to break it down into pieces mm -hmm. to make it easier for you to answer and for the viewers to um, understand. So that um, question comes from um, Proverbs 15, verse um, 33. Wisdom's mm -hmm. instructions is to fear the Lord and humility comes before honor. So can you please explain this verse? Second part of that question, how does it relate to the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? So are those two verses related? Interesting question. All right. We began by saying that the book of Proverbs is among the category of books that we call wisdom, um, mm -hmm. wisdom books. And the, the, the idea in this book, if you read the first verses of Proverbs from chapter one, the author clearly outlines the purpose of the book. He basically says that if you want to be wise, you will apply the sayings and the maxims and the principles outlined in this book. Be aware also that the book clearly was written to a young man or young men. It was specific in terms of its audience and its purpose. It was basically the king saying to his son and young men that these are some instructions that I believe if you follow them, your life will be made better. And one of the things that he talks about is wisdom. Now, wisdom in the book of Proverbs is not your level of intelligence, your IQ number, or your ability to grasp technical issues and master them. 
in Proverbs, wisdom is basically presented as our ability to make godly decisions. That's mm-hmm. what it is. So when the text says wisdom instruction is to fear the Lord, it is suggesting that we are wise when we make choices that are pleasing to God. And now, right. So that's the idea of wisdom in Proverbs. Wisdom in Proverbs is about making godly decisions. And life is a series of choices. And the idea in Proverbs is if we apply these principles and make godly choices, we will be considered wise. And that is what that is what it means when it says wisdom instruction is to fear the Lord. In this sense, it doesn't mean being afraid of God, but it's having a reverence of God where we acquiesce or we submit to his guidance, guidance and guidelines. And we choose what he wants to choose. Because ultimately, God is the creator. God is the one who rules the universe. So he knows better than all of us. So if we choose what he wants us to choose, then we will be better off. So, so I've heard, you know, from what you said, that wisdom is different from knowledge. Am I correct? Wisdom exactly is therefore different from knowledge because knowledge can say that I have an IQ of uh, uh, the highest IQ. But wisdom says that with that IQ, I'm making godly choices. It also suggests that even if I don't have the greatest knowledge, but I choose godly things, I am wise. I see. So now you said that to be wise is to make godly decisions. Correct. Now, somebody who does not believe in God, who's atheist, who's not Christian, can that person be wise? Because we've seen that there's many wise men out there from other religions so are they really wise? If you don't believe in God, can you, can you be wise? And that's an excellent question because the book of Proverbs is not the only wisdom book. Um, mm-hmm. Or rather, you have a number of wisdom books in the Bible. But during the time of um, Solomon and others who wrote these wisdom books, there were other wisdom books out there. And the marked distinction between those wisdom books and the book of Proverbs and the other biblical books is that the book of Proverbs always come back to the idea that wisdom is choosing in a godly way. So, of course, there is a standard of wisdom by the world. The world has its standard of wisdom. But from a godly perspective, wisdom surpasses that because ultimately anyone who doesn't choose this in a godly way will meet a fate that suggests that you're going to perish. Now, if you perish, that's not wise. (laughs) So all the wisdom of the world will only end up in an individual's destruction, which is why the wise man says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. He's Mm -hmm. literally making a point that, of course, there are other folks out there who may have wise sayings and may think that wisdom is according to their standard. But ultimately, it can lead to one perishing. And if it does, that means in the final analysis, it wasn't wisdom. Wow. Wow. Interesting. Powerful. Um, so the next question, and, and we can talk about this forever, but we have to move on. We have to go to the next question. Um, it's taken from Proverbs 16, verse 31. Mm-hmm. And I like this verse 
Gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained in the way of righteousness. And, right. and, and you know, we, I was taught to respect older people. But sometimes you see some older people behave in a way that is not wise. Um, so our question to you tonight, Pastor, does this verse apply to the 89-year-old man who's serving a life sentence in prison for murder? So are old people always wise? Excellent question. Excellent question. We'll answer that by saying this, and this will help us with many of the other questions that I suppose will come up. So notice the book of Proverbs is a compilation of maxims and wise <laughs> sayings. These, however, are not laws. You see, a law is an irrefutable fact that says A plus B equals C. And no matter what you do, it will always work that way. A wise saying does not work that way. It's not a law that covers everything and say this is exactly how it is going to go. It's a generalization that will always have exceptions. Because if an 80-year-old man or 89-year-old woman or man does some crazy stuff, clearly they're not wise. <laughs> mm -hmm. The idea is, the proverb is suggesting that as we grow older, based on our experience and the knowledge and our connection with God, we must grow in wisdom. And there are many cases in which this is true. Um, I know a lot of older folk, they're very wise and very godly. I remember one lady had a conversation with me one day and she's like, do you think experience is the best teacher? And of course, in my young age, I'm of course, if I have experience, I can, I can speak to it. And then she said to me, do you need to experience um, drugs to know that it's bad? And then I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> but it's because of her age and her maturity and her wisdom that she was able to you know, counsel me in that way. So the point again is this, these statements in the book of Proverbs, they're not laws. And I want to make that clear. There are general statements that are made and there will always be exceptions. Okay, okay. Now the book of Proverbs um, use the word full multiple times. Mm -hmm. So what is a full according to the Bible? That's an interesting thing. If you look at the book of Proverbs and notice how it uses the word fool, um, you will realize that it's not talking about someone really who is an imbecile or who has lost their mental capacity. You know, because sometimes we may associate a person like that being a fool. Actually, it's talking about people who make bad decisions consistently. Yeah. That's what it's talking about. If you look at it, look at it. If you read it, it's basically saying that fools are those who Although they have been counseled consistently to choose the right, they keep choosing the wrong and keep doing stupid things. They're indolent. They're stubborn. Those are the ways they describe it. And of course, we always go back to the book of Psalm where the Bible says a fool has said in his heart, there's no God. But that's one way the Bible describes a fool. But in the book of Proverbs, a fool is one who, having received instruction, persists in bad choices. Mm. Okay. Okay, so when we know God, when we know his words, we have to make better choices. Make better choices, exactly. So the next question is one of my favorite questions tonight. Um, it's taken from Proverbs um, 17, verse 5. Acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. So we often acquit the guilty because they have good lawyers. So if you have a good lawyer, so if you get in trouble, you want to hire the best lawyer that you can 
so that you can be found not guilty. So can Christians become lawyers? Um, can they advocate for those that we think are guilty, although they are presumed innocent and proven guilty? But can they do that? Can they, if they know that, you know, I've done this, can my lawyer fight for me? Can my lawyer advocate for me? So, so, so that's, so it's a twofold question. But also, isn't it that Jesus, what Jesus did for us when he died? Because we deserved to die when we sin. However, he took it all the way to the cross and he died for us. That's so a very good question. You know, I heard a story once about a pastor who was dying and he sent, it was a very popular pastor and he sent for his lawyer and his banker to come to his bedside and he held both their hands. And they were elated that this popular pastor sent for them. And they were wondering, why did he send for them? And they sat there, they stood there for quite a while and he was just silent. And then they asked, why did you send for us? And he said that um, Jesus died between two thieves and I wanted to die between two thieves <laughs> as well. Um, for some reason, lawyers get a bad rap. It's almost as I if know. lawyers sure are synonymous with thievery and lying and all of those things. But no, um, Notice what the text says. The text says, acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests both. In other words, when we pervert justice, God detests that. So if you're guilty and you acquit them, of course not. And if you're innocent and we condemn them, of course not. That doesn't mean that Christians can't become lawyers. Um, they're actually Christian lawyers. And again, Law spans a wide field, you know, but in this case, I guess we're talking about someone who we know has done something wrong and um, goes to a lawyer for them to acquit them. If you're a Christian and you've done something wrong and then you try to get a lawyer to get you up, the problem really is not with the lawyer, it's with you. Because if you know you've done something wrong, then you should confess and bear the penalty for whatever you've done wrong. And that's biblical. So, of course... In a world like which we live, lawyers are able to get people off and acquit them and condemn others. And unfortunately, that is the case. But the Bible is clear. God hates that. So if you and I or anyone is a lawyer, we should allow the Bible to guide us. So if somebody comes to me with a case where I know they've done this thing wrong, I'm not going to defend you. I can't because you have done something wrong and I don't want your money so much that I'm going to do everything to get you acquitted on some technicality or something of that sort. Because my responsibility is to be true to God. Now, is that what Jesus did for us? No, because notice what the text says. It says, acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent. What Jesus did for us is beyond and above what um, criminal lawyers do. Because Jesus, when he comes to us, the sinner, he is saying to us that I want to take your place. Now, I don't know if there's any lawyer who's going to die for me. Chances are not. They're going to want to take my money. So that's one of the big difference. Jesus is saying, I want to take your place. And having taken my place, he is now saying, I have paid the price for this person, for Gervon. So he is free to go. And not only is he free to go, because Jesus doesn't want me to stay the way that I am. When he sacrifices that much for me, he wants me in return to live the way that he requires me to live. That's why he said to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, I don't condemn you either. However, go your way and sin no more. He calls us to a higher standard. 
A lot of people who have been acquitted, when they have done wrong, they go and do the same foolishness again, and sometimes they end up getting caught. Yep. So the big difference is, for one, Jesus sacrificed, paid the penalty for us, and then he gives to us his life and his character and says, you have to now live a better life. So there's a vast difference between what Jesus has done for us who are guilty and what criminal lawyers will do. Um, criminal lawyers are about money. They're about um, promoting self and their business. And um, Jesus is not about that. He's about saving us from ourselves. So the criminal lawyer will get you off, but he's not interested in your character. But Jesus, when he saves us, he is interested in making us into better people. Amen. And that's very comforting. Um, so we have a very interesting question, Pastor. Um, it's taken from Proverbs 18, verse 22. Mm -hmm. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Amen. So, amen. Hallelujah. Pastor, it is wrong <laughs> to be single. So do the single also receive favor from the Lord? Because that verse ahead that somebody who has a wife received favor from the Lord. Well, what I if, have favor from the Lord. Hallelujah. I know. So what if you're single? And, 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 and I know because I listened to the podcast last week and you were a pastor for a very long time, but you were still single. So was, did you receive favor from the Lord? <laughs> amen. 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 Again, <laughs> I'm glad I have favor. <laughs> amen. But, but it's a very interesting question. He who finds a wife uh, finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Now, this is only this is alluding to the the creation narrative because remember when God created Adam and there was no Eve, God said it is not good for the man to be alone. What this text is doing is endorsing the beauty and the solemnity and the gift that is marriage. That's all it's doing. Uh, marriage is a good thing. And remember again that the book was actually written to a specific audience, to a young man or young men. So it's against that background, which is being, it is being said. It doesn't mean that favor is not on women um, when they get married. Of course it is. But what the Bible is saying here is this. Um, marriage is a good thing. And we can say amen to that. We have to endorse that. There are many people who are skeptical about marriage and tell you, oh, I don't know if I should do, but no, marriage is a good thing. It is said that um, single men li live a lot. Um, they live shorter than married men. Yep. Um, and there are other benefits that come with marriage. So they, it's a favorable thing. So if you're not yet married, I'm going to be praying for you guys who are listening that you find favor. Gentlemen, I pray you find favor. It's for, and that's what I want to endorse. Women will always live longer, but when you get married, you will live longer too. So, <laughs> so, so, so and, and Pastor, you are correct. Um, people who are married, they have a, a longer um, lifespan. So that's why exactly. the church tells us. This, yes. however, doesn't mean that anything is wrong with singleness. Mm -hmm. And Paul endorses the idea of singleness and says that it's a good thing, especially where Absolutely. serving God is concerned. So there are favors that come from being single. Um, but there's also favor that comes from being married. Marriage is a good thing. God gave it as a gift. It's one of the first institution that he gave to humanity. So it is a good thing. But um, don't allow anyone to suggest that because you're single, you are 
somehow not favored. And it's an unfortunate reality that many of our young men and young women who are not married have to deal with. When I was unmarried, I started ministering in 2003, and I didn't get married until 2015. Man, I'm telling you, it's a long time. <laughs> and there are people who I wanted me to feel like I, I was half of a man or half of a pastor under no circumstance. Jesus wasn't married, and he was a blessed pastor. Paul wasn't married. He was a great pastor. There is favor that comes with being single. And the mm -hmm. Bible is also saying that there is favor that comes with being married. And by the way, the context is everything. In the book of Proverbs, this young man is often warned about a treacherous woman, an adulterous <laughs> woman. So he's saying against that background where there are women who you may have to be careful of, it is better you avoid that and find a wife of your own and enjoy the, the benefits of marriage. Okay. So it's an endorsement of marriage and a rejection of any um, illicit relationship. Mm -hmm. so, so I think that was a good segue to our next question that um, the man, the young man in the Bible is being warned against, you know, that bad woman. But before, quickly, I think you said two things that I think are interesting. The first one, you said that you were single from 2002 until 15, and you were still a pastor. And I know I've heard before that to be hired as a pastor, you have to be married. Yes, I believe that those who are single do not get hired by the conference. So I guess well, that's not true. <laughs> or you are really the man and the legend. <laughs> and you got your well, job, although you were single. <laughs> actually, there was a time in, in, in not only in Adventism, but in other Protestant denominations where if you were a single pastor for that long, you would, you, you, you would not possibly have a job. You know, mm -hmm. there was a time like that. Just like there was a time in the Adventist church where if you didn't have a beard, you couldn't be a pastor. Wow. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, so we live in different times and, and praise mm -hmm. God for that because Amen. there are some people who have the gift of singleness like Paul did. And just as though Paul was an effective minister, it is still true that those who have that gift can be effective ministers in this day and this age. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the second comment, um, I know you mentioned that, you know, some people think when you were not married, you know, men or it's a bad thing. I think especially for the woman, when a woman is single and not married, there's a stigma attached to that um, in the church, in, in, in society that, you know, if, because you're a failure, you cannot keep a man. But men don't have that same stigma, which is very interesting. So double standard between for, for men and women in society. Indeed, it is a double standard. And because of that double standard, many of who are our, 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 our sisters are pressured into relationships or pressured to think that they have to get married because um, they need to have children or, or they need to prove that, you know, they, it, it's unfortunate. And it's one of those things we will have to deal with until Jesus comes. And it's just one of the unfortunate byproducts of sin. Yeah. So Proverbs um, 20, verse 11, um, even small children are known by their actions. So children, according to the Bible, are known by their actions. What about babies? If I just give birth to a child, you know, to a baby, and, and when does that child begin to sin? Is there an age, even in the law, right? Usually there's an age where children, you know, in some, in some states can be charged, right? Um, if you're too young, so in some states, if you're too young, you cannot be charged. So there's an age of culpability, as we call it. 
So according to the Bible, when does a child, when does a baby start to sing? Are they also responsible? Um, if a child dies, what happens to that child? Does he or she um, go to heaven? Interesting question. Interesting question. Um, in Jewish reckoning, you'll notice that the, uh, um, a young man is considered to be held accountable or come to a state of knowledge at about age 13 thereabout when they are have their bar mitzvah. Um, so now you're being held responsible. You, 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 you're supposed to know the law and be responsible for your choices. It doesn't mean that prior to that, they're not held responsible because the text makes it clear. My little daughter is um, a little over two years old. She knows right from wrong and um, she pushed the limit sometimes. She does. But is she at a stage where she um, uh, can make a decision for Christ or not? Actually, no. And that is why we believe that individuals must be baptized when they are able to make a decision to follow the Lord. It doesn't mean you don't train that child from that tender age to know about Jesus. But when that person becomes of age and has the ability to understand issues of salvation and not the deep issues, but the basic issues that Jesus loves you and died for you and you should give your heart to him, they will be held accountable. Where babies are concerned, this has been a very difficult question. And that's why in some religions, they believe that you baptize babies and that will cover. We don't believe that because baptism clearly is for those who understand. It says believe and be baptized. And to believe you need to understand. What we actually teach and believe as Seventh-day Adventists is this. The decisions and the choices and actions of the parents affects that of the child or children, mm -hmm. especially babies. And this idea of corporate identity is very prevalent in Bible. Um, for example, when Achan went and stole the garments and buried them and Joshua stole that there's sin in the camp, the Bible says it wasn't only Achan that was held accountable, but his entire family was destroyed. And mm -hmm. we see that over and over in the Old Testament, where the decision of the leadership in the family affects the fate of the entire family. And that's the idea when it comes on to babies. We don't know. I can't say that all babies will go to heaven. But what we can say is this. As parents, we have to be careful of the decisions we make because our decisions have implications for our children, including spiritual and eternal implications for our children. And of course, this text is not really addressing that issue. And I just want to make that clear. But the question was asked. So we're saying that where babies are concerned, the decisions and choices of the parents will affect the eternal destiny of small children. That's very interesting. And, and I hope our parents are listening. So it's important for you to know that what you do not only affects you, but also affects your children. Exactly. Um, so there's a verse or, or Proverbs 20, verse 23. The Lord detests differing weights and dishonest scales do not please him. So that comes back multiple times in the book of Proverbs. Why? Yeah, you know, God is a God of honesty. And it, it goes against everything that he is about. And one of the reasons this is so detestable to him 
it is often the poor and the disenfranchised that are taken advantage of in this way. Um, so when it says the Lord tests differing weights and dishonest scales, it is suggesting that we are perverting justice or perverting um, um, the weights or the sale of a product or something like that. We are taking from others more than this is worth. It's a dishonesty, dishonesty. It's thievery, it's um, stealing. That's what it is. And God detests that, especially as you read Proverbs, you'll notice a lot of times it, it is in the context of taking advantage, especially of the less fortunate. I was watching something today on the news, for example, where it is said that in black neighborhoods and poor neighborhoods, for some strange reason, their uh, property taxes are higher, way higher than the property taxes of um, individuals who are possibly Caucasian or even live in similar homes or similar neighborhoods as the black folk. Why is that so? Why is it that those who, because of their skin color or their socioeconomic status, they are actually paying more than those who are uh, not the same as they are and, and are even in better position? It's just not right. It's just not fair. And no one seemed to be able to explain. They're talking about, oh, this, that, that. But that's what God is talking about. We must be careful not to take advantage of the, the, the less fortunate. And that's one of the main burdens in Proverbs. Because oftentimes, and I'm not saying this doesn't happen to others, but oftentimes such perversion and such injustice is directed to those who can least afford it. Okay. Wow. And, and, and society is not fair. So I think we have to fight so that this world becomes a better place. Exactly. Um, and, but that will only happen, you know, when Jesus comes back, we'll have a perfect world. But well, we have we to do what we can here because the, Bible, Absolutely. the reason it's there, it's to suggest that we, we should advocate for just weights and just skills. <laughs> exactly. Social justice for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next verse, I think I struggled a little bit with that verse. And that's, um, you know, um, the question is taken from Proverbs 20, verse 24. Mm-hmm. A person steps are directed by the Lord. How mm-hmm. then can anyone understand their own way? So can mm-hmm. you explain these verse? Because what about free, you know, what about free choice? So I know that, um, you know, God, we are created free, so we choose where we want to go. And of course, we have to live with the consequences of our actions. So how is it that our steps are directed by God when God gives us the freedom to do what we choose to do, to go where we choose to go? That's a very good question. You know, I'll be honest with you. I've One of the things I used to do as a young man is I would always read the book of Proverbs um, at least two or three times in the year. And this is one of the texts that I I struggled with because I wasn't sure exactly what it meant. A person's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand uh, their own way? Now, again, what is it getting at here? Is it saying that God has taken away our ability to choose? No. And why is this so? Because the book of Proverbs is about us making godly choices. 
and it's mm-hmm. instructing us to make godly choices. Mm-hmm. So if we understand that foundation, the idea is not that God is going to take away our choices because again, the book is uh, is the Solomon giving instructions that you should make wise choices. So that's what it's, that's the foundation. So when it says a person's steps are directed by the Lord, it's not saying that um, God is taking away your free will. No, 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 no. But what it is saying is interesting because this text can actually be interpreted a number of ways. I can make some stupid decision and say that God is directing my steps. Mm-hmm. Which we do sometimes. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, 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 and so when we say a person's steps is directed by the Lord, what exactly is it getting? What does it mean? And then the other part of it too is that we can make good choices and things can work out and we can even make bad choices and things work out and we're saying our steps are directed by the Lord. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you get that. We can make bad choices, you know. And know. We, there are people who go to, to, to commit a crime, go commit robbery and say, God, please work things out that everything goes well with the robbery. And everything goes well with the robbery. <laughs> really? Is God <laughs> directing that? <laughs> Maybe not. Of course not. Of course not. But what it is getting at is this. What it is getting at is this. As we make plans for the future, as we make plans for the future, it is actually suggesting that we must be willing to submit to God's leading. Because we can plan sometimes and think things are going to go this way when God has a totally different idea for how he wants things to go. Um, a good example of that is a life of Joseph. Joseph never planned for him to end up in a pit and then in prison and then, um, well, sold as a slave, then in prison and all of these things. Did he understand all of that while he was going through it? No, he actually didn't understand. And not until he was promoted and he, his brothers came and he saw everything that happened, then he realized that God He said, you meant it for evil, but God worked it for good. So it is suggesting that in in our affairs, sometimes things may go right. Sometimes they may not go right. But ultimately, if we submit to God's way of doing things, it will always work out for our benefit. Amen. So that's very insightful. So the foundation is that we submit to God's will and he will direct our steps. That's right. And that direction may sometimes go totally contrary to what we want, as in the case of Joseph. But the ultimate purpose is that God's way, when we submit to him, will be accomplished. Okay. And I think the next question was kind of addressed um, last week by Pastor McCoy. But we'll ask a question anyway. And that question has come back many times in the Bible unmasked. Because women sometimes are demeaned in the Bible. So what we see in the book of Proverbs um, when relationship is discussed, um, the man is seen as a victim and um, the woman as a bad person, as evil, as the one who prays on the man. So why is that? So, but what's your take on that, Pastor? Well, again, for one, remember, as I, and I'll emphasize, the book was written to the son or to young men to give them specific mm-hmm. instructions. Now, if Solomon wrote it, then he should know a bit about um, women because he had, what, 700 wives and 300 concubines. Too many to count. (laughs) Too many to count. Too many to count. So he's writing out of his experience. And um, clearly he had some um, wives who were nagging him. And he's like, Lord, help me, Jesus. I I can't deal with this one. But he's writing, I guess, out of his experience and writing to his son. 
But again, because it's directed to this young man, it is suggesting that he ought to be careful about the choices he makes, including the choice for a wife. Um, a lot of times when we are in relationships, we see certain signs and we see certain issues, but it's either we're masked, we need to unmask, okay? by our faces are masked because of love, you know, we're blinded by love or what the case is, not realizing that these things can prove a, a problem in the future. So this is not really a demeaning of women as it is suggesting that you have to be careful about the choices you make, including the choice for relationships. And that is true for men as it is for women. But again, because the book was directed to this young man, that was important. It is also important to note that in the context of the proverb, book of Proverbs, wisdom is often depicted as a good woman. Mm -hmm. So yes. the book doesn't exclusively demean women. Wisdom is actually often depicted as a good woman. And um, the opposite of wisdom is the adulterous woman. So you have that balance where a woman is presented as adulterous, but also presented as this wise um, wisdom is personified then as a woman. So there's this balance. And even at the end of the book of Proverbs, a woman, a woman is hailed. The, the, the virtuous woman is, is therefore hailed. So there is actually a balance, even though it may seem like, you know, women are always being demeaned and young men are. And the truth is, though, balance is there because it talks about young men who make foolish decisions as well. So the young men are not always on a pedestal. No, they're not always because it talks about them being fools based on the decisions they make. So there is balance. There is balance. I know that in, 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 um, in, 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 in the world of preaching and biblical exposition, there's a thing called an interpretation and hermeneutics. There's a thing called reader response, or um, in other words, you, 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 you read the Bible through a certain lens. And when you read it, for example, through a feministic lens, it may seem like this book is demeaning women and just promoting men. But in reality, no, that's not the case. And what we try to do is not to come with such presuppositions. We call, mm -hmm. call them to the Bible. And we allow the spirit to give us a godly presupposition so that we, we are guided by the spirit of truth. And when we are guided by the spirit of truth, we will see things in a different way, which is there is balance in the book. Okay. Um, so the Bible speaks a lot about being wicked, the wicked. So what does it mean to be wicked? According to the Bible, and and one example is 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 I'm um, taking from um, Proverbs twenty one eighteen. It, it mentions um, the wicked. So what is that? Yeah, Proverbs twenty one eighteen. Let me see what it says. It says the wicked becomes a ransom for the righteous, and the unfruitful for the upright. What does it mean to be wicked according to the Bible? The wicked person, especially in Proverbs, is that one who does a number of things. Someone who perverts justice. Someone who takes advantage of the disenfranchised and the poor. Someone who is bent on um, doing anything that is against God's will. And um, notice what this text says. The wicked become a ransom for the righteous. The, the best example I think you can find in the Bible of that is a story with Naaman um, in the book of Esther where... Um, Mordecai 
just wanted to kill him because he was a Jew. Why? Because he didn't bow down to him. And you remember he made a gallows to hang um, Naaman on, uh, Haman on. And the Bible says that the very gallows that he prepared for um, the, for, Mord for, for, for Haman, Mordecai, he himself died right on it. Mm. And that's what the text is talking about. So wicked people are those who want to take advantage of those who are vulnerable and those who are in a, in a certain position where they're disenfranchised or those who pervert justice, things of that nature. But I love this text because it says that those who are preparing a pit for you and for me must understand that they're going to fall in that very pit themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Pastor. Um, so Proverbs 22, verse 6, you have a question from there. It's a very touchy subject for very sensitive for many families, many parents. So the Bible in Proverbs 22, verse 16 says, start children off on the way they shall go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. So yeah. does the Bible promise that children will go up in the church will never leave. So, and, and so why then do some children who become in this family, who go up in this family, this church, they leave the church and they never come back. So what goes wrong there? Is it that the parents don't do a good job um, in raising those kids in the word of God? So what's the issue? Excellent question. Excellent question. As you pointed out, this has been one of those problem passages in the proverb because People misuse this text, and, mm -hmm. and that misuse is directly related to a misunderstanding. Remember earlier I said that the book of Proverbs, these are not laws. Mm -hmm. This is not a law that says if you train your child, it's, this is what's going to happen. That's not it. Mm -hmm. In reality, this text has been interpreted a number of ways, and we have to understand firstly that this is not a law, but this has been interpreted a number of ways. Some people interpret this to mean that if I set my child on a certain um, academic path, and career path, this is how they got to go. So I want my child to be a doctor. So he or she's going to be a doctor. I'm going to invest everything. And then when that doesn't happen, they're like, Lord, I, I followed Proverbs 22, verse 6. What happened? But that's not what it is saying. It is not a law that says this is going to happen if you do this. That's not it. Again, these are general pithier sayings or promises that will always have some exception. What this text seems to be suggesting, and there's a lot of debate about it, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you the perspective that I believe um, is generally accepted. What this text is suggesting is that, firstly, parents must train. I think that's the emphasis. We must train our children. We can't take it for granted that children will just grow up and be what we want them to be. There's a part for the parents to play, and that is you have to train your children. And... It then says, start your child off or train them in the way that you're going. When they're old, they will not depart from it. Well, clearly that is not true, as you pointed out, because many people have departed from the way they have been brought up. And again, contextually, this text has nothing to do with the church. It didn't say anything there about religion, really. Mm -hmm. It's not. But what it is suggesting is we must instill certain values and principles or ideologies, whatever it is, in our children's life. And... These will actually stay with them. Stay with them. So um, some institutions tell you that give us your child between ages one and seven. And trust me, if you give them to us and we teach them, they will be what we want them to be for life. So even if they leave, 
let me see if I can illustrate it this way. I have many friends who grew up in the church. And recently I was thinking about it. Many of who I grew up in the church with, they have left the church. But you know what's interesting? They will never go to any other church but the Seventh-day Adventists if they go to church. Many of them. They will not send their children to any other school except the church school or to any other church except the church that they grew up in, which is the Seventh-day Adventist church. And why do they do that? It's because many of the things that they have learned, they actually hold dear to. And sometimes they will argue with others and defend the church and defend the truths they believe, even when they're not practicing it. Absolutely. It's because the things they have learned have made an impact on them. So number one, this is not a law that promises anything. It's not. Number two, the emphasis is on training. Number three, it's a general statement with, to which there always will be exceptions. But the truth is this. If we are careful as parents to guide our children and to ensure that they make godly decisions, in the future, we will, bear, we will see the, 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 the result of our work because they will follow in that way. And there are many who have done that. So while there are others who have turned away, there are many who have done that. But also the influence is still there in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. and, and I think you made a good point because I know people who go up in the church, who left the church, but who will make sure they pay their tithes and offering exactly. when they get paid. I know those people, they will do it. But uh, one thing also there. I'd like to emphasize um, is that, you know, when parents train up their children, don't only talk the talk. You also have to walk that walk. Because we know parents who come to church every Sabbath with their kids, however, if your life at home is not a godly life, your, your child will see through it. So that's important. So it's not just coming to church and then pretending to be the best parent. You also have to treat mom if you're that the right way. You also have exactly. to treat your children well. So because they will, what I've heard, you know, when somebody told me before, kids do not do what you tell them to do. They do what they see you doing. <laughs> so I think that was very, um, very powerful. Very powerful. But, and again, we must, it's not a promise. It's not a law. Mm -hmm. It's a proverb. And it's suggesting clearly that we must do our part. And we, we, however, the truth is in this life, we have no guarantee. But we should, that should not stop us from doing our part as parents to train our children. And as mm -hmm. you rightly said, by precept, but also by example. Yeah, yeah. So if you're a parent and you're watching and you've done what you um, you were supposed to do and your child is not in the church, don't feel guilty. Keep praying for your child. There you go. Keep praying, indeed. Researchers um, believe that um, we should not, um, that couple of punishment, right, is not good. We should not spank our children. We should um, train them by giving them positive and negative reinforcement. But in Proverbs 22, verse 15, we know that um, but rod of discipline will drive it far away. So does the Bible support corporal punishment? That's a very interesting <laughs> Can question. Can I spank my child? <laughs> <laughs> How should I answer that one? Let, let's put it this way. Let's answer it this way. The Bible makes it clear, and it's actually in the book of Proverbs, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. In other words, um, love understands that sometimes we have to be, well, not sometimes, we, we have to be held accountable and that um, sometimes that will require chastening. That will require um, a, a, a God doing 
something that might be very uncomfortable for us. The idea is this. The idea is this. Accountability is very important. And one of the ways that we can do that is by punishing. Now, it's not endorsing abuse. It's not endorsing anything that is going to damage an individual psychologically or otherwise. But it, it, it is, it's saying that love is requires us to chasten our children or, mm-hmm. or to uh, appropriately hold them accountable by punishing them. And there's nothing wrong with that. And in reality, when you read what the Bible is saying, it is saying, and I'm just going to quote the Bible, the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Um, the, 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 the reality is that we live in a world now where people believe that, you know, corporal punishment is not effective and is not true. I've learned that I must stand on the word of God. And I want to be very clear. We're not endorsing abuse of any child or children. We're not, because I've seen that. I've seen that. I remember seeing a child, you know, being badly abused, man. All because that child embarrassed the parents in public and they just took it out on the child. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're talking about. No, no. That's not what we're talking about. But um, we, we want to make it clear that the Bible says the rod of discipline. And this is not talking about some figurative rod. Um, it is actually both because you can discipline your child in different ways. You can discipline your child in different ways. And sometimes that might just require that you spank your child. Mm-hmm. And that I works spank. with some folks. <laughs> I was yeah. a child. I got spanked big time. Listen, I got spanked Although and it didn't, do me, it didn't do me no wrong. <laughs> I, I, looking back, I thank God for it. I think I needed it. Let me give you an example. I, I'll never forget this. When I was seven years old, uh-huh. I... My parents owned a business and I went to the business place. I was supposed to be going to school. And that day, it was a holiday and we were supposed to go to school to do a project. But you know what I did? I went to the beach with my cousins and some (laughs) friends, seven years old. And um, while I was there, a young lady died. We saw her drown and I was so frightened, I ran home. While I was running home, when I ran home, the house in in, in Jamaica where I'm from is on a hill. And so my father (laughs) was on the veranda looking down. He could see I dodged him. I saw my mother. She had never spanked me. So I run to my mother because I know mommy's not going to do me anything. But she was so disappointed with me. She took me home to my father and said, and, and she, I know if she had hit me that day, if she had slapped me, that would be the enemy because she was so mad at me. But my father, it's a very wise man. You know what he did? He told me to go take a shower and go to my room. Oh, and boy. then we had family worship at a specific time each evening. And at that time, he called me and he said, Gervon, and I didn't answer. I pretended like I was sleeping. He said, Gervon, and I didn't answer. And then the third time he said, if you don't come out here right now, you're going to regret me coming in there. <laughs> so I went out yeah. and he told me, get your Bible. And I, he told me to get my Bible, got my Bible. He says, find Ephesians 6, verse 1 and 2. I have never forgotten that text. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And then he said, explain it. Yes, <laughs> man. I bawled, I bawled, I bawled. And then he said to me, you know I'm going to spank you. Oh, he spanked you anyway. <laughs> he spanked me anyway. And he said, no. He said, you could have died. And why would you have died? Because you were disobedient. And I don't care if you're bawling. You're still going to get spanked. Because you're going. And I never got a spanking after that. Because I learned from, listen, I felt so badly. Because when I saw that young lady die, I mean, I, that's something you can't get what over as a child. Yeah. I ran home. And no, man, it, it hurt them that I hurt them. I could have been the one dead. 
Mm-hmm. And the way he dealt with that was a wise way. And the spanking never killed me. It only made me a better person. So the point is, there are appropriate ways to discipline our children. And that's what the text is talking about. Yeah. Even in Florida, it's not against the law to, you know, discipline your child that way. But you cannot leave marks or wounds on your child. That's just because that will be abuse. And but, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. No exactly. Abuse. Yeah. Exactly. No abuse. Uh, Pastor, I'd like to take you back to Proverbs 19.29, the second part, um, that um, beatings are for the backs of the fools. So, and, and it's tied to that question that we just discussed about couple punishment. So the question is, does the Bible support violence? And that's the, question, that's the verse I was like, hmm, you know, beatings are for the back of the fool. So does the Bible support violence? Uh, no, the Bible is not supporting violence. What the text is simply saying is that we reap what we sow. So it says penalties are prepared for mockers. So if a mocker is someone who is literally disdaining something of importance. So they tell you, um, don't do this or this will happen. And you're still going to do it. You're going to face the punishment. And a similar way, beatings are for the backs of fools. It's suggesting that you're going to reap what you've sown. And if they tell you don't do this and you go go do it, you're going to pay the punishment. And it's just like um, it's just like me. If they tell me um, don't don't sell drugs because you're gonna go to prison, and I go do it, I've paid the price for my actions. And that's what the text is talking about. So it doesn't support violence under no circumstance. It's just making clear that we will reap what we sow. Okay, so Proverb um, 22, verse 24, I love this verse. Do not make friends with hot-tempered person, but associate with one easily angered. So should we be friends with um, hot-tempered church members, or should, should we stay away from them according to this verse? Um, well, I'm going to go with what the text says. It says, don't <laughs> stay away from them <laughs> with a hard tempered person. Sister, <laughs> we can be friends. <laughs> but listen, um, and there is wisdom in this text. Absolutely. The text is not saying that we are going to cut off or totally disassociate ourselves with someone because of their character flaws, but it is telling us to be very careful how we associate with such individuals. Um, I've seen people who have gotten in trouble because of their hot-tempered friends for no good reason. Um, if you can be of service to these people and help, try to help them, sure. But you have to know your limits. Don't um, make this your, your, your way of living because it is still true that our associations affect us. They can affect our characters and they can affect... Um, even or 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 destiny, um, and and I I think that's what it's getting at. It says, "Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered." The problem with anger is this: um, the Bible makes it clear that if you are getting angry for any without any good reason, that is inappropriate. And people like that can do dangerous things. And if they do dangerous things, it can have implications for you. And for others, and that's why it's saying, you know, avoid that as much as you can. Avoid that as much as you can. It's only going to be in your favor. If they're hot-tempered church members, pray for them. And that's a good thing to do. Um, Pray for them. It doesn't mean that you're going to write them off and say they're going to the pits of hell. No. You're saying, 
Um, where you are right now is not good for my character development. So I will pray for you and I'll keep praying for you. And I hope you'll pray for yourself. But I must be careful who I let into my space, into my environment, because you affect my character development. So, yeah. Absolutely. Proverbs 29 and verse 18. We love this verse. We've heard it multiple times before. Where there's no vision, the people perish. So as leaders in church or elsewhere, what should we take away from this verse? How can we apply it to our lives to what we do? I love this text. I love this text because I've learned that it's applicable on a number of levels. For my personal life, for my life as a professional and the work I do, it is so true. A vision is a, is a picture of a desired future. One of the things that I knew that I wanted for myself, for example, is that each, each year, well, not each year, I set five-year goals. So I know that within five years, there are certain things I want to accomplish and I need to do it. And in order to do that, I have to work towards it. So that vision has been created and I take steps to work towards it. And it's a similar thing, even at a professional level. We have many churches that are busy doing everything and get nothing accomplished. Why? Because there's no vision. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a vision of a desired future. And when you have that vision, you put appropriate steps in place to work towards it. And that's what the text is talking about. God had a vision for his people when he took them out of Egypt. He said, I'm taking you to Canaan, and this is how I'm going to do it. Unfortunately, they didn't buy into it because they thought they couldn't capture the land as God had said. Um, and, 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 and it caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Again, when people do not have a vision, it limits our, our future, it limits our possibilities, and so on and so forth. And we should be glad, especially in this country and in many other places of the world, that men and women had vision to see a better future for, for others and created that. Because without that, some of us would not enjoy the privileges we do now. So it is true. When there's no vision, the people do perish. Okay. So as I mentioned before, um, Pastor, some women um, feel that they are demeaned in the Bible, but you um, noted that there's a balance. Although some of us may feel that we are demeaned in the Bible, how significant it is that the book of Proverbs ends with the description of the wife of a noble character. Some versions um, describe her as the woman who fears the Lord or the virtuous woman. So how significant of that and what should we learn from the woman who fears the Lord? I'll answer that by sharing um, something that I read in um, The Great Controversy where Ellen White talks about the fact that there are many great leaders who will rise in judgment and condemn their mothers because their mothers were not careful to instill in them certain principles and certain values. I think what the Proverbs is getting at here, which is, a, is true, and I'm going to use another proverb to explain it. It says, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And in many respects, that is referring to the influence of a mother and the influence of a wife, a woman. Women are powerful and influential. Um, I'm telling you, I, 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 I thought I was wise and then I got married and then I realized I was otherwise because <laughs> my wife is a wise woman in many respects. She has been a blessing in my life. You know, she has helped me to understand a lot of things that, you know, I, I, I'll, be, I'll be honest. I'll I, I give you a simple example. Mm -hmm. 
a lot of times people call and they'll ask, how are you doing? And I'm, I'll say, I'm good. And then I just move on. My wife has heard me um, and said, no, when someone asks how you're doing, you should ask back, how are you doing? And how is your family? <laughs> I honestly never really. Temple pastor. That. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm telling you, because I'm like, get to the point. But she's like, no, 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 no. You know, at yeah. least break the ice and ask, how are you? How are you? And, you know, sometimes I've done that. And if people came, had a certain agenda, just by asking that question, it changes the entire tenure of the conversation. Yeah. And the reason is because God has blessed me with a wife who is wise and who is a virtuous woman. And that's a, a, a very important. That one, the Bible makes, I love that it ends on this note, celebrating a mother and a wife, because mm -hmm. the influence of a mother and a wife is going to stem into eternity. And that's yeah. very, very powerful and very important. Absolutely. And your wife is right on that one. <laughs> you know, just asking, showing some interest, you know, is a good way to engage people. I'm telling you. Eyes to, you know, to build rapport with them. So, so she's a wise woman. <laughs> so now we go into the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, so, Pastor, we know that... Um, the book of Psalms is a compilation of songs. The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. What do we know about the book of Ecclesiastes? What's the best way to describe that book? Again, it does fall under the category of wisdom saints. There's a little, it is, it is a little different though, because if you look at the book of Psalms, you'll notice that there are a lot of maxims and wise saints. But Ecclesiastes is a little di is different in the sense that it 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 has many extended sayings. So they're not so short and pithy as they may be in the Proverbs. So for example, in Ecclesiastes chapter um, one, there's a, uh, it talks about a time for this, a time for that, a time for this, a time for that. You know, they're extended. Um, and it's simply making the point that there are seasons in life, but notice mm -hmm. it, it takes it a little longer. And it's, it is, again, different in that sense that it doesn't have a lot of these short maxims and pithy proverbs, but it is similar along that line. And note, again, that the book of Ecclesiastes um, was written um, with a specific purpose. The wise man says that he is directing it to, to, to his, um, I think he said to his son, because he wanted him to understand certain things that were critical for his development. So that is the context in which it is given. And that makes a big difference in how we even interpret and understand the book. So uh, Pastor, when you said the wise man, are you talking about Solomon? Did he, is it the one who wrote that book? Right. The wise man okay. is Solomon himself. That's the one we're talking about. Okay. And, and, you know, as I said before, there's so many popular saying from the book of Ecclesiastes. And sometimes we even forget that they are from the Bible because we use them a lot in popular language. For instance, Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1, vanities of vanities, um, um, all is vanity. You know, we say that all mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. Or there's nothing new under the sun that we hear, you know, over and over again. It's actually taken from the Bible. It is. It is. And, and, that's, and, good. and that's 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 very interesting. Or we could talk about this for a very long time. But we know that our viewers have things to do, places to go to. 
So our last question, Pastor, and I and I it's, it's taken from um, chapter four, verse two. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living or still alive. So how can the dead be happier than the living? That's a very interesting question. How can the dead be happier than the living? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, all right. I, 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 it's a fair question because it's there in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the word of God. It's a fair question. Um, let's... That 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 is from the um, I think that's from the New International Version. Am I correct? Um, yes. All right. Yes. Um, so yeah, that is from the New International Version. Let me give you another perspective, just sure. to, to try to to give some balance here, because in the New King James Version, for example, um, this is what it says. Let me just pull this up here. One minute, pardon me. I should have pulled it up before, but I want to give you some perspective. From the New King James Version to see specifically what it says. Um, listen to this. It says this. Oh, come on, close right there. It says this from the New King James Version. It says, um, or verse two. Therefore, I praise the dead who were already dead more than the living who are still alive. Um, one of the things we have to understand when it comes on to the different translations is um, we have, and, and, and this, especially for the Old Testament, it's pretty standard. You have different manuscripts, but there's really one manuscript that we use from the, for specifically for the, for the Old Testament. For the New Testament, there are myriads of manuscripts. And because of that, they're always doing um, textual comparisons to see how they can get individuals to get, get they, they, they come as close to the original. But I think I like how the New King James Version put it, where it says, therefore, I praise the dead who are already dead. What does this mean? Um, you see, there are, in, in, the, in the Bible, and especially in the, in the Old Testament, including Ecclesiastes, it makes it clear that when you're dead, you're dead. You're not in heaven. You're not in hell. You're not in a state of limbo or purgatory. You're dead. It's suggesting, therefore, that the dead are in a better situation than the living because when you're dead, you no longer have to deal with all the issues in life. You know, you no longer have to do it. The Bible even says in Ecclesiastes um, that, that, that when you're, you're, you're dead, the living know that they shall die, but the dead know nothing. You, you have no, no, no knowledge of whatever is happening under the sun. Imagine if you, when you were dead, you were in heaven, and this is a scenario I always present to people. Let's say you you you're a wife who you 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 marry your husband, you have some lovely children, and then one day, unfortunately, you die, and you die, you go to heaven, and then lo and behold, when you're in heaven, you see your best friend marry your husband. Not only does he marry your husband, but starts to treat your children badly. <laughs> if you're up in heaven now and you see your little daughter being abused by your best friend, number one, I don't know why your best friend is marrying your husband. Well, I may well, be problem there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and then not only that, she's abusing your children that you gave birth to. What happiness would there be in heaven if you're looking down on that? Mm. I don't think there would be any, which is why mm -hmm. in Ecclesiastes and throughout the Bible, the Bible makes it clear that when you're dead, you're dead. It is suggesting, therefore, that when he says, I praise the dead, he's basically saying, 
you're you're better off in a, in the sense that no longer do you have to deal with all the vicissitudes and challenges of life. Now, mm-hmm. now, the Bible in Ecclesiastes it also says that a living dog is better than a dead lion. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that mean? Listen, if you're a king of the jungle and you're dead, you can't do me nothing. But a dog who has life, even if he's not the king of the jungle, he has life. So there are benefits to life, but there are also, as it were, he's arguing that there are certain benefits when you die. Because with death, there is no more need to worry about life and its challenges in reality. And that's why he said, I praise the dead. Because um, um, Job begged for death when he was going through challenges. He's like, man, it were better off I were dead. Why? Because you no longer would have to deal with these challenges. I'm not saying that anyone should go beg for death. No, that's not what I'm saying. I don't want to. But, but we're making it clear that. Keep me alive, Lord. Keep us alive, Jesus, please. What the wise man is suggesting is this. When we no longer have to deal with life's issues and challenges because we have um, ceased to exist, in that sense, we're better off than people. Many of them are not able to handle the challenges of life. I see. I see. Well, Pastor, that concludes episode 28 of the Bible on Mass. Next week, um, we're going to be reading Ecclesiastes 5 to Isaiah 11. And what should we expect from these chapters, Pastor? Ecclesiastes, again, um, addresses uh, many beautiful and wise sayings, and you're going to be blessed by these. He looks at a wide gamut of issues in life and provides some pertinent counsels. One of the things that he will constantly say, and you'll find out, is that life, especially a life without God, amounts to vanity. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you are the richest man or the poorest person, we all go to the same place when we die. That is in the grave. And we can take nothing there. We can take nothing there. So wisdom suggests that we should live a life for God because outside of that, all is vanity. And then um, you mentioned Isaiah. What, what chapters again? Until 11. Yes. Isaiah is a beautiful book. Isaiah is considered the gospel book of the Old Testament. You're in for a treat. In chapter one, one of the best sayings in there is one that I love where it says, come now, let us reason together, say the Lord. In chapter six, you're going to see Isaiah experiencing God. Uh, it's a beautiful book. You're, you're in for a treat as you're going to be hearing God through Isaiah talk to his people and challenging them to come to a higher level, especially one where we reason with God and see that he's willing to um, take our sins and wash us and make us white as snow. Absolutely. I cannot wait to read those verses, and I'm looking forward to next week's um, reading. So as you read um, for next week, Ecclesiastes 5 to Isaiah 11, please make sure you text your questions to 954-388-8780. Again, text your questions to 954-388-8780. And Pastor Jen and Principal Stevenson will be on next week, next Sunday, to answer your questions. Thank you for watching. You spend one hour or more with us tonight and we really want to thank you for that. Remember to subscribe to Plantation SA Church um, on YouTube so that you can view our all the programs that we have for you. And again, those have been designed to help you in your walk with God.
Thank you, Pastor March. Will you please pray for us? Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is still truth and it is still life. And as we read, transform us through the study of your word. Thank you for this experience, the experience, the Bible and Mass. And we pray that hearts will be blessed, lives will be transformed, and that men and women will be encouraged to study your word and to find therein the wisdom that comes from above. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Pastor March. And good night, everybody. Plantation SDA Church presents the Bible and Must. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30 p.m. for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with the Bible Unmasked.